Hello. This is the house on Valencia Street. I'll be your host. I use explicit language. Topics will include ghosts, the paranormal, psychic ability, rape, incest, murder, domestic violence, therapy, uh, Buddhism, foster care, emancipation, uh, spirituality, quantum physics, um, addiction, uh, let's see, codependency and enabling. Um, so yeah, that, that's a good topic cover. I think that's going to give you some round, broad strokes there. Um, <clears throat> this can sometimes, we talk about real topics here that sometimes can be a bit intense and can trigger things. Um, although this is a location where uh, people who have not been raped are going to tell this person that has been raped how she's going to talk about it. Um, an example of that I'll offer is that in uh, <laughs> legal court documents, uh, if you look at any people who are lawyers or people of this nature who are reviewing legal documents, for example, maybe the Britney Spears situation is of interest or the Josh Duggar situation is of interest and as a person who's lived through uh you know incest and rape uh, i'm going to be thinking about these and researching these because it helps me understand how we um, bring predators to bear consequence right so um uh, but you you learn a lot about the language of law and um Anyway, okay, let's keep going. We'll keep going. Pushing through, pushing through. Uh, so, yeah, this is a, from the rape and incest survivor's perspective. I'll just give myself freedom to talk about it as I like. But the example I was going to offer is in court documents, they use acronyms to discuss uh, rape, uh, sexual abuse, uh, child sexual abuse. Uh, they use like uh, SA. They'll say SA in the language. I'm going to pause. How can we hold people accountable in our culture for rape and incest and bullying and harm that comes many times with gendered uh, power dynamics if we can't even acknowledge the act and we have to use acronyms and legal documents because somebody might be triggered or someone might be inconvenienced to acknowledge that rape or domestic violence exists, right? Um, I was thinking about that recently because I spent several hours in the last month listening to different deposition testimony and things uh, on a couple of different situations um, just to edify myself. And um, I was sitting there, they were talking in these acronyms and I'm going, just say the words, just say the words, you know, um, I'm a mature woman who's had seven to eight years of therapy and there's been about 30 to 40 years between you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Well, yeah, actually, yeah, it's going to be a time span of 30 to 50 years. I'm, I'm out from those abusers, but uh, I, I wanted to pause and ask the question of, you know, why are we using acronyms to report a factual thing? We don't use acronyms to talk about murder in depositions that I'm aware of. They don't go M or CM, capital murder. They, they just say it's murder. It's a murder charge. Um, the fact that we are editing the word and only using acronyms to say, well, you know, some people are triggered by those words, and I understand that. However, if we can't even acknowledge the language in our legal documents, 
culturally, we have to maybe do some adjustments with our language and how we deal with these things. And personally, I want the language used. I want it acknowledged, right? Other people may have different feelings about that. And I'm quite frankly, I'll say in that context with uh, the legal documentation and the depositions and the things I've been reviewing and listening to people discuss, um, um, it kind of bothered me. I was sitting there evaluating that going, because it took me a while to figure out the acronyms they were using to be polite. They say they're being polite so that people don't get triggered. And you know, that's a real thing. And that's a lot of pretzel, pretzeling to get around the fact that we don't want to use the word rape or domestic violence or sexual assault. And you know what? I want those words used. Why? Because we don't talk about it and I'm talking about it. Right. So, and thing is, I may have different feelings than you do have. Right. So let's get back to that. I'm still a disclaimer and I'm five minutes in. <laughs> and here I was dragging my, I was really struggling to get to this microphone. It was, I really, I courted it. It's been an hour or two where I'm like, okay, I'm lighting a candle, drinking some water. What am I going to talk about? And it was just like, I didn't want to sit down with this microphone. Why? Media and what's really going on right now in the world. And today is August 24th, 2021. Is overwhelming right now. I'm trying to process some of that. I just, um, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling sad and I, I was feeling self-conscious about coming to a microphone to share that with you um, and that there's a, a somberness to it, right? So, and I didn't feel that would be maybe entertaining, right? So <laughs> I'm pushing through though. You know why? Because just because, because I'm pushing through because half of that might be my self-criticism that may or may not be accurate, right? Because sometimes I have thoughts that may or may not be accurate. We all do, right? So the whole point of uh, some of that or parts of the point of what I was talking about there is you can consent. Maybe this topic matters a bit intense for you. Maybe it's a bit overwhelming for you. You could say, I, I, I think I might want to process some of that. Just bear witness and listen to somebody and understand that people sitting next to you may have a different experience that maybe bearing witness to that may be helpful, right? So um, let's see. So you can consent to that. That might be something like, well, you know, those topics you talk about, that's, that's interesting. Now you might say, you know what, time out. I'm going to take a pass. Thanks. I got other stuff to listen to. Uh, that's an option too. You can go right there too. So you can consent. You can say no. That's important to me. And I even talk about it most episodes because for many of us, uh, statistically, at least a third, 30% of women, somewhere between one in four and one in three women have been raped uh, statistically. It depends on which study you're going to look at. And it depends on whether they're going to tell you they've been raped because you don't want to talk about it. A lot, nobody wants to talk about it. Hell, you know, you go to the, the law, you look at the legal documents, and they're using initials instead of, it's just like using the N-word. It's like using the N-word instead of saying the word, right? And while I disagree with Louis C.K., and I am disappointed in some of his actions and um, the like, he does have a riff on that that is salient, uh, which is, and this is one of those struggles. I, I'm going to also let the house on Valencia Street be a place where we could talk about people that were mentors who are also predators, and we could try to figure out how to acknowledge that part was salient, that part was offensive. Do we throw them all out, or do we at least just acknowledge what their whole picture is while we share the knowledge, right? That's, that's a conundrum right there. So anyway, let's see. Is there any other thing to say about in this disclaimer before we dive on in? I think that's a good old start. Yeah. So thank you for your patience and thank you for being here. I'm a little uncomfortable emotionally right now. And uh, 
I'm shying away. I'm hiding. And part of my mental health stuff is showing up and doing it. Just like going to a meeting when you don't want to go to a meeting. That's a support group, a 12-step meeting. Oh, that's a topic I'll talk about too, 12-step. There you go. Okay, so let's get into some of this. Um, here's some reasons why I'm a little bit somber today. And I bet y'all know these details. You may have heard some of this before, but I'm just going to make it. Well, I'm going to talk about it here. Okay. We're living in the middle of a pandemic, epidemic pandemic right now. We got a lot of epidemiologists that are studying this COVID thing, right? Okay. Well, let's talk about context. As of today, uh, about four and a half million people have died of COVID. And about 213 million have recovered. And I'm doing some Google searching on that. I can get you some CDC or World Health Organization data if you'd like specifics on that but i'm just giving you some ballpark information going okay between four and five million have died of covid it's been about a year or two okay okay well let's compare and contrast okay spanish flu 50 million people died of that that's 10 times where we're at today right that was back between then that took two years that was between 1918 1920 most of it and then there's granddaddy of them all grandmama granddaddy of them all the black plague Right, the bubonic plague, that's a big one. Uh, let's see. Well, there's a lot of them. I, but this is just the greatest hits. I'm just mentioning a couple of greatest hits here on the, uh, <laughs> the pandemic, epidemic, kill you diseases that are out there, right? <laughs> the big ones, you know. Uh, let's talk about the Black Death. The Black Death. Uh, black Death. We could say that. Say that 10 times fast. Black death, pandemic, black death, pandemic. Oh, dear God. Okay, so the black death. Uh, now, okay, I'm going to give a kudos because I don't know how they're going to estimate these numbers uh, in the 1300s. So I'm going to give you that. This is also Europe and Asia we're measuring because we didn't really have measurement tools in the North America that I'm aware of because the culture was different, communicating differently. Um, an agrarian culture that was a hunting culture, United States, North America, writing, um, written language. I don't have a lot of, um, I've studied Native American tribe and tradition for years and written language. No, not so much. Vocables. Yeah. Singing songs. Yeah. A bunch of people being stuck in a reservation, not having the same language and going to powwows and sun dances and singing music and songs that they could communicate with each other, even though they spoke different languages. Yeah, I know that one bit. Um, and I learned them, learned some of those songs, sure. But just the, as far as tracking is concerned, back in the 13 and 1400s, and they recognize or say that uh, Columbus was, uh, he was south of the North America's, uh, well, he's south of my location, latitude, longitude wise. But um, <clears throat> that's 1492, right? So we're talking about, 100 to 100 years before that. So that's before that guy, that Caucasian guy coming from Asia came over here and or actually Spanish. I think he was, was he Spanish? Columbus? Yeah. Well, he was paid by the Spanish to come on over. I think it was Isabella of Spain who sponsored him. Okay. Anyway, let's wander around a little bit. Um, okay. Bubonic plague, 1300s. Well, they estimate about 75 million to 200 million died on that one. So let's think about this. We're only about four and a half million today. COVID. Been a year and a half. 
Spanish flu took a couple years, got 50 million, 10 times what we got now. Black death estimates are 75 million to 200 million. And again, as a, if you're an epidemiologist, I'm curious about how you're going to estimate those numbers, given that it's 1300s, 1400s time-wise. You're talking 14th century, right? So, so okay, 75 million, 200 million. And you compare that to the four and a half we got going now with COVID, right? Okay. Now, there's also going to be some other systemic things like, you know, heart attacks, uh, uh, heart disease, uh, you know, all kinds of mental health stuff. Other things I'm not necessarily mentioning. But as a physical measurement of a disease, right, here's three of them. Spanish flu, black death, COVID. Well, it's exhausting looking at those numbers. You know why? Um, so many, our lives have all changed. Everybody's lives changed since this COVID thing hit, right? This time around, on this time and space continuum, on this XYZ coordinate where we are at right now in this location on this planet. Right? Okay. Well, I want to feel hope, right? And this thing is breaking everything down, this COVID thing, or just us trying not to die through it, not to be part of the 75 to 200 million that died with the bubonic plague or the 50 million that died of the Spanish flu, right? You know, we're getting off easy at four and a half million. And look at how much effort and money and drastic <laughs> devolve, de devolution of uh, society is, is resulting out of this. And what's also what's holding steady, you know. What a miracle. Over half of us got, well, uh, the United States now is at 70% or higher for one shot or more on the COVID vaccine. And we also got FDA approval this week. So the naysayers who were using resistance against the vaccine, uh, putting a goalpost saying, oh, the FDA approvals it, you know, and then we say, well, we got FDA approval. Then they're going to move the goalpost. See? Yeah. Anyway, but um, I, so I was just evaluating some of those numbers and feeling very depressed, very depressed and uh, feeling a sense of hopelessness and a sense that, um, I want to make plans. I want to have hope. I want to go to 12-step meetings and meet people, you know. And now, today, I'm second-guessing the fact that two weeks ago, instead of having my pickup groceries in the parking lot, I, I went to a grocery store that had cheaper food. Uh, they are a chain um, in the Pacific Northwest more so. Um, and uh, But, you know, cheese is going to be $1, $2 cheaper. You know, uh, you know, tortilla is going to be one, two dollars cheaper. You know, things like that that you could get by on a live on. But you're going to a place where the, the prices are statistically low. But also, I stopped going to that particular grocery store because their mask uh, enforcement. And um, this last two weeks, uh, I was accosted by a man. I was wearing a mask. And there were, mask mandates weren't up yet. We just got mask mandates in Oregon this week. Uh Outdoor events now, outdoor events where you can't socially distance, you got to wear masks, and indoor, you're going to wear masks. And um, keep thinking, I'm so excited getting my second vaccine, thinking, oh, I'm going to go start doing my walking again, do my four or 500 miles like I did in 2019. And now I'm like, I'm just paused and I'm a little bit overwhelmed. So on these days where I'm feeling shitty and overwhelmed by COVID, I've got a candle lit. And I'm saying prayers to my mama and my grandma and my great-grandpa, Charlie. 
and my grandpa that I wish I had met, Delbert, because he was dead. He died when my mama was a teenager. Um, Delbert was struck by lightning, and Delbert had a heart attack early. I, I think he was in his late 40s when he had his, he died. Um, the doctor, they didn't do an autopsy, I don't think. Uh, that would have been too much, that would have been a lot of money. Uh, but uh, uh, they anticipated, they concluded that part of the reason he died early is because he was struck by lightning when he was younger with his dad. Um, my great-grandpa and my grandpa were struck by lightning together. Um, great-grandpa Charlie was running across the field in Minnesota. He was holding the hand of my great-grandpa my Delbert. I think Delbert was a good man, and Delbert was before the grandpa that raped us. Delbert was before the guy that got my grandma and my grandpa kicked out of Idaho because he was molesting kids at the church. I don't know who Delbert is. Mom didn't necessarily talk about Delbert so much. We had a lot to talk about just trying to survive what we were surviving when I was younger, but I want to meet Delbert. My heart wants to know Delbert. And maybe Delbert's just an average guy. But I think he had good heart. I think he had a good heart. And I, when I see photos of my grandma with him, there's love and they're holding each other and there's joy. Uh, so in these difficult times, <clears throat> one thing that's holding me on is love. Love. And now I'm thinking about Castaway with Tom Hanks and Wilson. <laughs> Wilson, wasn't it a volleyball? It was a soccer ball. It was a volleyball, I think, Wilson. He used that as a tool, and that was something that kept him company. So he wouldn't go, well, he wouldn't feel lonely. He created some company for himself, you know. Anyway. <clears throat> When you're looking back on ancestors and people that you did love, I think part of it seemed that they were human. And sometimes they may have made some judgment calls or mistakes when they were trying to survive because that's how they learned things. Or maybe they just made a decision in a new context, right? I was going to talk to you a bit about someone tonight that I've got some mixed feelings on. And I've talked to him as a man who loved my mama, a man who's still alive, a man I'm willing to talk to. They worked at the post office together, and um, how do I name him without naming him? I don't know. He was maybe the first comedian I knew, other than my dad. My dad was pretty funny, but he, he was just blips and trauma. That was dad. <laughs> and I'm not going to listen to you while I'm standing right next to you. That's dad, but uh, my real father. Hmm. I don't want to say a thanks. I'm going to say a shout out to somebody while I'm talking about this man that loved my mama that I'm thinking about today back in Walla Walla. I want to say a shout out to my stepdad, the last man that was with my mama. My mother wore his, wore his wedding ring until she died. Ten years. He dropped dead of a heart attack when I was in my mid-twenties. I helped arrange the funeral because she was basket case. Because you would be, wouldn't you? But, uh, she wore his wedding ring till the day she died. She'd been married several times, but after that last husband died, stepdad, the good stepdad. Maybe I'll call him the good stepdad. 
Okay, the good stepdad. Although the good stepdad had some problems. The good stepdad had some integrity problems. That being the case, he showed love and kindness to me. And he had this really strange nickname he called the kids. He called women Puddin. You say, hey, Puddin. He had these little nicknames he'd call you for love and affection. And it sounds silly, but there ain't nobody ever called me Puddin but him. And it was a strange nickname in some ways, but it was a sweet treat. It was like candy cake, you know, something he was saying, you're a sweetheart. That's when he used that. And uh, I like it. <laughs> it took me a while. You know, when people's dead and it's been a couple decades and you sit there and go, that guy have good boundaries. Overall with us, he had pretty good boundaries. Yeah. Well, um, kids, you know, although they only had five years together. Mom found love after she left Howard. And several of the men she was involved with were at the post office because she was working 40 to 50 hours a week, you know, so. Elmer. I was going to talk about a man who I've talked to in the last month or two who was there when I was growing up, who knew my mama and worked with my mama for years. But maybe I need to talk about the good stepdad. Maybe that's who's coming to visit tonight because I've got ambivalent feelings about him. And um, a tarot card reading indicated some things before we knew what was going to happen. Boy, him dying. <sighs> Spirit told me. Spirit told me through the tarot cards on that one. We did some readings the night before. And I went on to my next place, Tucson. I went down Tucson. And I uh, got the phone call that he just dropped dead. I'd seen him a day or two prior. He just dropped dead. And I had to figure out how to get a bus. I didn't have any money. <laughs> I had to come up with money for a bus ticket to put because I had this train trek I was doing across the United States. And then that kind of threw a monkey wrench into things, him dying like that back in the mid 90s, mid to late 90s. The good stepdad. <laughs> I'll anecdotally mention that I made a phone call this uh, <clears throat> last couple, well, last month. I just arbitrarily, because my friend had gone taking pictures of the Valencia Street house, and uh, he's the first comedian I really knew. Yeah, he worked at the post office, and I'd go sit in the office, and we'd talk. He was married to a wife who had a late-stage disease that made it difficult for her. She was constantly bedridden. <clears throat> and in between, I don't know how much Mom told him. He acted pretty naive when I was talking to him. That's okay. Maybe he can act naive while he goes to his golf games because he had a decent house and decent retirement. There's a race and gender and socioeconomic demographic did pretty good at the post office in Walla Walla. And some people deserved and got different treatment. And everybody was just fine with it. So maybe I'll pause on talking about that conversation with that fella because I'm not sure he deserves it. But I'll tell you this much. <clears throat> There's an album by a guy named Don McLean. It's called American Pie. There's a song called Empty Chairs on that album. I believe it's Empty Chairs. B-Side on the album. Mama told me when I was a teenager and I was dreaming about what was love in the middle of all this stuff. I think we were at Boyer Street when she was telling me about this. There's a place on Boyer Street in Walla Walla we lived. She didn't really have money to talk to about this, I think, and it was probably inappropriate that she was processing it with me on some level. She could have had better boundaries. 
But she shared the album American Pie with me. And she told me that the comedian at the post office, the first comedian I knew, he'd given her that album. And I'd been friends with him for years growing up, see. He was constant. But he had a complicate there were complications, right? But he gave my mom a copy of American Pie, the album. And after they broke up, because she ended it, um, they were both, well, he was married. He was in this kind of, like John Lithgow's character, John Lithgow's character in Terms of Endearment. Married, but he was having problems with his wife and Deborah Winger and John Lithgow's character justified an affair because other people were acting worse, kind of, you know, and they were lonely. And um, you kind of understood it, you know, but you also kind of thought, well, people aren't being told there's an integrity issue, right? So that's a spiritual problem in my perception or ethical problem. But anyway, the first comedian I really knew at the post office, he gave a copy of American Pie by Don McLean to my mama. There's a song on there called Empty Chairs. There's a lot of good songs on there. And I still ruminate and I still sing these songs some because it was good memory. But the song Empty Chairs is about somebody leaving and um, how he loves somebody. And there's an empty pillow where her head lay, and then it still smelled like her perfume. And and there's an empty chair, you know. And I, and I think the one big song, the one big line from that song is, "I never thought you'd leave until you left." <laughs> and part of it was he's acknowledging that he didn't treat her very well, right? So the song "Empty Chairs" is about I, you left me, and I recognize it now, and I'm kind of sorry now. See. So he handed her that album, my mama told me when I was a teenager, about 30, 40 years ago, said, uh, I, I think of the song, and I, I listen to the song, and I think of you, Darlene, and I think that I feel sad that you're gone, right? So the man that gave my mother that album 35, 40 years ago, I was having an affair with my mom after she was trying to get away from that monster, and they divorced, and she was in a world of hurt. She was reaching, she was cling, and again, sometimes people cling to whatever they got near them, whether or not it's appropriate or not, because that's what they got to do to survive, right? Whether or not it's right or right, not, right? So, but I kept that song. And as a singer who had, you know, performed at least 100 concerts or more before I was 18 uh, with choirs, informals and the like, um, because we could sing, um, that album means a lot to me. And I talked to the man who gave that to my mother and my mother shared what he said to her and he didn't fucking remember. <laughs> He's a married man now. He's got a comfortable retired life of Walla Walla and he likes to golf because he's got the money to do so. You want to talk about socioeconomic indicators, a golf hobby? <laughs> well, it's like a wine cellar, isn't it? That's a, that's a cast issue. That's a cast hobby. But anyway, uh, and also there's some big, could be some good out of it. Although commonly you're going to see a particular race, gender, and socioeconomic demographic represented a trifecta they're in, right? So anyway, yeah. So part of this research with the House on Valencia Street is talking to a man and having a myth that you've carried 30, 40 years. Or, and I don't know, it wasn't a myth. I think it was a truthful thing. Mom was a truthful person. Mom had a heart. Mom told the truth. Mom didn't steal. She made mistakes now and again, and she might be obscure. Uh, she might not lie by omission. Yeah, she wouldn't quite aim for that, but she's an honest person, you know. Uh, shy, sure. 
But just think about that. I can sing Babylon. Babylon is around about people who've lost their land and are now guests for people who captured them and they long for their land. Babylon is around. There's a song, it's an old poem that is sung on um, Don McLean's album, American Pie. And I still sing that song to myself, that round. Sometimes I'll kick it up, but I'll sing in rounds, just like the Hallelujah Choir or some other things that I got to perform. Uh, just because I miss singing in a choir and I miss harmonizing vocally, you know. And that song Babylon is off of that album, American Pie. And even if this guy who's got privilege and entitlement in some ways, this man that loved my, the first comedian I knew in Walla Walla, does it take away from the fact that my mother loved him at one point and that he helped me grow as a person? Does it take away from the fact that he don't remember this album that meant a lot to me because music was a place that would soothe me and music was a place I felt confident, see? And, um, just take away some of that love and that shine on that rose. I don't know. But I know my mama loved him, and I know I listened to her talk about loving him. And she's dust. You know, I've got her ashes, part of her ashes over in a jar I'm looking at right now, next to a candelabra with a candle on it and a flame that's lit. Next to a fireplace, it's sparkling and shimmering with light. And maybe it's just a little LED light that I bought. That makes me feel good. Hey, you know what? You're never alone at the house on Valencia Street. And sometimes it's whether you like it or not. And sometimes you can hold on to love that maybe somebody forgot. And maybe it's still potent. Yeah? You're never alone at the house on Valencia Street. Sometimes it's whether you like it or not. And I'm grateful you're listening today. I'm walking through today so that hopefully tomorrow these numbers get better on these pandemics, huh? Progress, motherfucker. Progress. Mm.